May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. How can you help build neurologic resilience to buffer the ups and downs of fibromyalgia? What inspired Rose to do the documentary? What are some of the surprising challenges that face the documentary from getting to more people? You will learn about these and more on this week's episode. This is Dr. Michael Lenz. I am host of the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I also am author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. I have been a doctor for over 26 years. I am a pediatrician an internal medicine doctor, as well as a lifestyle medicine physician. I work to weave the best of both medical management and lifestyle medicine to help all types of medical problems. But in regards to this podcast, working to help lessen the suffering and live the best with fibromyalgia and related conditions. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own medical doctor. I want to take some time to recognize listener feedback. This was shared the other day. Dr. Michael Lenz has changed the lives of our family. My 17-year-old son has been suffering from fibromyalgia for over three years. However, we didn't know it was fibromyalgia until about one year ago. And to add to that, I'm a pharmacist who initially, even after he was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, was in denial. My pharmacist training and just being a father was set on finding an exact cause of what was going on with my son and fixing it. My son was very active in sports and outdoor activities much of his life. However, after a football injury to his lower leg, when he was in 8th grade, our journey began. He was complaining of general pain not just in his leg, but throughout his whole body. He was having trouble with focusing at school. He was becoming depressed and frustrated that he was not getting or feeling any better. To summarize our experiences, I will just list the type of doctors, specialists, and procedures we tried. Number one. MRI of the injured knee. Trip to Children's Hospital to have a bone biopsy done to rule out cancer. Lyme disease test. Visit to pediatric rheumatology. Diagnosis of hemochromatosis. Visit to the Children's Hospital genetic doctor who made the diagnosis of fibromyalgia. Visit to the pediatric cardiologist. Visits to the chiropractor. Visits with a pediatric psychologist mental health therapy for depression, etc. Almost every test and lab came back normal. There was no explanation of why he was feeling the way he felt. Buying Dr. Lenz's book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, was life-changing as it was like it was telling our story exactly. As a result, 
my son was diagnosed with ADHD, which I also was in denial of as a pharmacist because my son, up until recently, has always performed well in school and didn't have symptoms of hyperactivity, etc. However, starting treatment for this has drastically improved his overall general health. Not only can he focus better, but his pain levels have greatly improved. He is getting much more restful sleep, his mood has improved, and most importantly, he is feeling normal. I waited a couple of months to post this review because I wanted to give some time to see if this therapy continued to work. I am happy to say that we are optimistic that our son will continue to improve as it has been almost three months since the treatment. I can't thank Dr. Lenz enough for doing so much research on this severely under-recognized condition. His podcast, as well as his book, are full of useful information to help all patients who are suffering from this complicated and frustrating condition. As a fellow healthcare professional, this experience has greatly impacted my views and treatment options for this condition. Thank you, Dr. Lenz, for your dedication and expertise in helping to share your important and evolving information to all patients. That's from Brewer 2025. Thank you for your kind words. This story has so many good clinical pearls. It's the recognition that fibromyalgia occurs in children and adolescents and not just in adults. There's often the frustration of going to many doctors in his relatively short lifetime. Many of you listening, unfortunately, may be well into middle age or older and had the same problems going back to adolescence and even childhood, but never had the good fortune of being diagnosed, let alone given proper education and proper hope and expectations and treatment options to help you lessen the suffering from fibromyalgia and even reverse it. The treatment plan for fibromyalgia is not one size fits all. Each person has their own unique situations, background, and challenges. There often are co-existing or comorbid conditions that occur with fibromyalgia that are important to recognize and treat. If you would like to share feedback about the podcast, about the book, please email me at drmichaellens at gmail.com. Also, if you have any questions that come up in the podcast that haven't been addressed and you'd like to have that clarified, I'd love to hear the feedback and share that on the air as well. And now on to this week's episode. And like you said, if you're going to take a trip to New York, do you really want to get the three o'clock flight that's going to mess you up for four days and torture you? No. All of that planning, recognizing the role of sleep and schedule and stress and management. I think that, like you said, sometimes the stress hits and they get knocked down. They can't do a lot. But I try to say as best you can, try to get back to that level you were at, just recognizing that actually is going to help you because a stress event can often start a downward spiral. My interview with Adam, who was on a interview earlier this year had said that looking back about five, six months before his, what had been a flare up of fibro and it was told it was chronic Lyme at the time, but misdiagnosed, but he had high stress preceding this and living and persistent stress in the background that lowered the threshold 
to have that resilience, which sometimes you hear the word resilience and it's sometimes character, like you're not resilient enough. But that buffer, that neurologic sensitivity buffer, building that reserve of capacity of tolerating the stresses to your environment, stresses to your body, your mind, your soul. And I think one of the tricky things about the whole fibromyalgia and trying to explain this to people is we are stuck with two different models of looking at medical problems. There's the medical model, which is easy to say. If you have rheumatoid arthritis, there's inflammation going on. Here are the medication regimens. There's a protocol. Here's what we can do. Here's the labs. Here we, here's how we treat it. You actually have a growth plate problem. It's Oshkod Schlatter's. Once your growth plates fuse at age 14, you're going to be fine. But until then, you have to try to do biking, swim, stretch, but you can't only do so many minutes on the basketball court or the volleyball court or running, et cetera, but it will get better. You have an appendix that's inflamed, but the, that's a medical model. The biopsychosocial or mind, body, spirit model is incorporating all of these factors. And it's the metaphor I just came up with yesterday in trying to explain this is I was a youth group leader at this summer rally thing with a bunch of teenagers from all over and they had a mixer in the beginning and they had a tug of war and there were 12 teams and you start out with 12 and then there's a little flag underneath the ring that represents your team and if you got pulled in then they went down to 11 and I think there's this tug of war and if you want to put two parallel on ends of this tug of war good sleep bad sleep high consistent regular levels of exercise you need not good, healthy, mental health, poor mental health, low stress, high stress, all of these and recognizing, oh, all of these forces like vectors in a physics class are pulling in one direction or another. And my heart goes out is that sometimes there are many things that are out of your control that are pulling in directions that are intense and having that compassion. But you have been able to recognize that and you've had ups and downs and realized that I was able to buffer through that because I've built in that capacity. The pharmacist who's getting 20,000 steps and she's recognizing that. And it's really hard. I think one of the things you said earlier is that acceptance of a diagnosis. I think that persists still to this day. I don't have that doctor lens. And sometimes it's because I have a friend and she's that hypochondriac type. She's that whiner and complainer. And I'm not her. And I think that there's so much more out there that's on that continuum. When you mentioned friends that are as getting older and with Nick had said in the podcast interview, I wonder what happens. I'm worried a little bit when I get older, which means what if I do get severe arthritis from wear and tear and I can't quite keep those things up. And I think what happens and when you look at the studies, the average activity level drops as we get older. And often that high school is when it drops. If I had been speaking to you as a 14-year-old, I would have said, this is something that we know so much more about. And actually, activity is really important. But you have a lot going on because you really want to get to college too, don't you? And you're really worried about your grades, aren't you? Yeah, I know. I'm trying to perform, but now I'm not sleeping as well because I'm worried about my classes and these are harder and I know you need good grades and 
all of these because I'm not going to be a professional volleyball player forever, but I'd like to maybe play in college or make varsity. And then you also want to get the good grades and all of that extra pressure that probably was added to the list that was causing you fatigue and mental exhaustion and how much can I do? We know that when it comes to athletic performance, there are so many other factors that are in there. Yet, many people who are athletes have been able to harness that emotion and put it into a positive. And I know that is inspirational, seeing you climb on the rock wall and recognizing movement and that use of muscles in a controlled, like rock wall climbing is a similar as probably Pilates. It's at tension, but movement that's low impact and really inspirational. So what inspired you to do a documentary? What was your inspiration Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that it's more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that because I want to call out, you're very right about the catastrophic thinking. And something that I do is shift the mindset from catastrophic thinking to being curious. And that is conscious on my part as their coach. And I think that is important to acknowledge and be thoughtful about. And when someone is taking on an exercise program, when they have fibromyalgia or really any program, they're going to fall off the wagon. Like I literally tell them it will happen. I'm not going to pretend they're not. And they will flare, right? But each time they get back on, which is what also you're encouraging for your patients, it gets a little easier. And then they're pleasantly surprised. The first couple of times it's, ooh, I backslid. But later on, your body's, no, I remember this. I'm good. And the body bounces back and is able to function pretty well or match where they were before, provided it wasn't months long of a break. And I think something that's interesting about that, that I do know from researching exercise is that some adaptations, and in fact, the kind that we're working on with endurance and those kinds of things, they don't leave as quickly. Some exercise adapt- adaptations leave us very quickly, and we have to work very hard to maintain them, but others stick around. Others, it takes a while. If you've worked hard to increase certain capacities of your physical body, some of them don't leave very fast. And a lot of people don't know that until they experience it. So that's something that's really incredible to witness I think that I'm grateful that, I, that I've gotten to witness that. And that actually leads into what inspired me to make a movie about this was because I felt like I had so much information. I had so much knowledge and I had such of what felt like a unique experience. And I, I'd like, I would go into, this was, gosh, it was about 10 years ago that the idea happened for the movie. And then it took about seven years because there's a little bit of a break. And I figured, I didn't know it was a movie at first. It took a minute. I was like, am I writing a book? No, I'm too young to write a memoir. That seems wrong. I looked at this situation and I thought, I try to go into these Facebook groups and I try to like share information, but people are triggered by me and they think I'm trying to sell them something. Because I also was a fitness and wellness professional, right? I'm a trained nutritionist as well. So it's like, ah, this is not hitting right. I'm just trying to help. And they think I'm like trying to skis them out of something. Like I'm not a snake oil salesman, truly. I actually know some things. It's their science, but like I also understand. And I also firmly believe I have a lot of friends with other chronic illnesses as well. One of my very best friends has MS and psoriatic arthritis, actually. And she gets to choose 
what treatment she wants to do. If she doesn't want to change her diet, she's not have to, right? So I firmly respect that whoever it is who's receiving the message, they get to choose whether or not they want to take my advice or not. That's, I am not going to force anything on anybody or assume that my way is the only way. I do not actually believe that, right? So here I was like, I got all these tools. I got all this great information. I worked really hard. I spent a lot, thousands, and I want to talk about how much money I spent on certifications to get to this point to know all of this and then to be doing great. How do I tell people in a way that it will land in a way that feels good to them in a way that helps them feel seen in a way that is not about me and my life and my experience. Which is again, why I could have made a movie all about me. I could have, I didn't want to, I literally found other people and I was like, I'm one person with this. And actually initially the movie was not supposed to just be about fibromyalgia. It was supposed to be about invisible illness completely. We realized really quickly, oh, it's too big. We, we can't do all of that and do it just. So then we narrowed in and zeroed in on fibromyalgia and specifically chose to tell that story as well as we could. I'm really hoping that other illnesses will follow and other people will take on. And some people already are. There are some other films out there about other conditions. But I said, I'm going to hand this idea over to you because my story is a piece and let's work together and let's find the others. And then I can share information. I can be myself because literally existing, I'm going to be sharing some of this knowledge that I've built over these decades. And it gave me an opportunity and a platform to exist in a way that I think probably is still triggering, but at least you can't deny me then you can't deny that I exist because here I am also offering to you the fact that I'm aware that I am one story. And here are some other stories that are harder to watch, but very important. And, and I'm grateful also that the film has given me a platform. I've been interviewed by you now and Tammy Stacklehouse's podcast as well. And, we had some people write up things. I have a feeling there will be more to come. I've had a lot of other platforms where I've been able to share transparently about what I know from a place of love and care for the community. So I'm no longer just a soundbite or a couple characters on a Facebook message that can be limited and dismissed or filtered by a moderator who doesn't. There's my dog. Oh, the moderator did not like that. She's filtering. She doesn't want you to go anywhere. Oh, but then I'm able to tell the whole story. And when I am able to tell the whole story, people tend to lean in and say, oh, you're trying to help. Oh, you have information. This might be helpful. Oh, you're not pushing me to do it your way. You just want to share the things. So that's really why. And that's why when you watch the special features and the footage of the top back that I'm literally weeping, because I'm really grateful that now this is a movie that people can watch. Yeah, I share similar sentiment because... When I started sharing information on Facebook, I got kicked out on one of them because I made this comment and I recognize fully, just like you, that there's a whole spectrum, but I've helped many people who've been in recovery or taken their levels from fibromyalgia impact score that's 81 and I just saw her today and she's 28. I take care of both of her kids who would have been probably where you were in middle school in that pre-fibromyalgia type state. 
And now we are able to treat some of the coexisting medical conditions that they have and have this awareness and working on diet and all of these factors. So I have many patients like that. And I said in a comment, and it's then now you've learned, as you've probably learned going through this, a sensitive topic. I said, boy, a lot of people talk about this like it's a stage four metastatic cancer that nothing can be done and that you're just going to sit in a corner and wait to die. If you've watched the movie Forks Over Knives, they said that to this woman who had stage four heart disease and blockages that couldn't be treated. And that was a similar thing. And I said, no, this is something where people can get help and they can improve and lower their symptoms. And I think that I was being too cocky for one, and I underappreciated. And I wanted to share, hey, this is some good news of just like you, all of this experience. And I started to recognize, is it just me? But as the medical aspect, I recognize there are a lot of coexisting medical conditions, recognize the family history. When you take care of one person in the family, now I'm seeing the mom, the dad, the uncle, the brother, the sister, the cousin, if they're within range, because they've been to so many doctors and haven't had the comprehensive care and looking at it. And it's also takes a lot of time and intensive. I had a patient of mine today we were just talking about, and I said, did you ever feel like you were the least favorite patient on the doctor's schedule. <laughs> and they're like, exactly. And I would be charting through the record. And finally, she said, the doctor goes, there's nothing more I can do for you. I just don't have anything else I can offer. I don't know what else to do. And she was very nice, but recognized there isn't a secret thing that I can share because they don't know. And often these are dismissed patients. And I think bringing that to the forefront is that these are real people that you see just like trying to get a diverse characters in TV shows and movies to recognize those are real people that you can relate to and all that spectrum. And I think that makes sense. And that's why I'm excited to also hear your story and share that with the listeners that there are these non-medical ways. You've done this without, at least on the, I think when I've heard without using medication. And I think that some people can do that. And many people need a combination of both from my experience. That's just, but there are combinations I interviewed and it'll be in a couple of weeks. Medications have improved. One of the biggest reasons why I have done it without medication is because at the time there wasn't a good option, but yeah. keep talking. No, yeah. In 2007, when a lot of those got improved, but one of the interviews are with Dr. Beinvogel from Boston Children's talking about chronic abdominal pain on the spectrum. And she said, the research that they're doing now is with proper education, these medicines that were tried in the past that seemingly failed, that are retried, but with proper education and expectations. And I think reframing how you look at things, that that tug of war, that picture, there isn't just one person on that tug of war, on that rope that's pulling, or just one rope, if you look at all of these ropes that are pulling in one or the opposite direction, all of those are part of it which is once you connect and make that realization, then the lights start to go on. It's like in the movie Matrix where suddenly you see things that you didn't realize and you start to look outside and recognize all of these other features. But we are so good at the medical model and medicine at doing great things, rescuing people from near death by putting a stent in their artery and all of these great things that we can do. And still, obviously, we can't cure everybody, but there's so many great things that we can do. But with fibromyalgia, it takes a lot of 
handholding and understanding. I think that message where you're understanding how movement and exercise and gradual and monitoring and self-awareness and throwing in the psychology and pulling in the piece of what's going on in your life. What are the stresses? Just talk to somebody and they said, my mother-in-law is dying of a, a, a a fatal disease. And okay, that gets things to be pulled in that direction. But even if there are some sustained pulls in that direction, to have had success to recognize, okay, I understand I'm being pulled down, but that doesn't mean a fatalistic forever kind of thing. I'm going to try to do my best to still incorporate my best level of self-care despite the high stress event that I'm going on, but sometimes that can start to spiral. But if you understand, I know why I'm hurting. I know why I'm spiraling. This is how it is. And I can get through this. And that's battle. Any other final thoughts about, I guess I didn't get a chance to talk with Nick. Are you going to make it on Netflix, Amazon Prime? What is the, where's, where is that with that? And maybe that's in private contract negotiations right now. Yeah. No, you, can get a- it, you can watch it online right now and I'll have a link to that. Yeah. As I had with Nick, and if you didn't hear the trailer, I put it on the first part with Nick, and you can find that online. Beyond what you can see right now by ordering it directly or renting it directly, what are the platforms that you're hoping or have plans already to get this out there? What a good question. So funny enough, when you name a movie Invisible, you don't still expect that you will be invisible to the film festival machine, we got denied from every film festival we applied to. So initially when the film was completed, we were looking for a distribution deal, right? Which would mean something like a platform like your listing. It's historically, a lot of documentaries would go on Amazon because Amazon had a really excellent model for independently produced documentaries. That shifted inside of the height of the pandemic, actually. And so as our movie was not done yet and we're watching all of this shift and the pandemic is hitting and we're just like, oh no, Amazon stops acquiring documentaries. So that was the first thing that happened. And then we didn't get into any film festivals. I mean, very much dumb and simplify down how getting a movie out to the world works. So please forgive me. But essentially what you do is you get into a film festival so you can network and make a deal with a platform that's going to then write you a check to have an amount of time, like usually it's a series of years that they get to put your film on the platform. And then if they want to keep it on the platform later, you renegotiate and they have it longer or it leaves the platform, which is why often movies and TV shows will leave streaming platforms. A lot of people don't talk about that, but you can actually Google what's leaving a platform in whatever month. And there's always a certain amount of things because their limited distribution deal ran out. So, So that's that quick explanation. So we didn't get into any film festivals I have opinions as to why. Also, our timing was a little risky because a lot of celebrities decided to make documentaries about themselves or things they believed in when they were bored in lockdown. So it was a tricky time. In fact, even some of those documentaries have not gotten distribution via the traditional model because there's too much content in the documentary, the feature documentary sphere for these platforms to handle. So we then looked at, okay, we could hire a sales agent, usually they're an attorney or someone in an attorney's office who tries to sell your movie, right? We were looking at this. It was fall, I think, of 2022. And we, the producing, other producers and I just were frustrated. And we were like, you know what? Our audience has been waiting for this movie for seven years. And a lot of our audience helped us with our first round of fundraising. There are people with fibromyalgia who gave us money 
to help make this movie. And we are grateful to them. We had success, two successful crowdfunding campaigns. And this thing was bootstrapped. So then we're looking at it and we saw if we'd go that route and we try to get it on a platform, we're just going to delay people getting to watch this. So we decided to stop submitting to film festivals. And then we said, okay, we're going to self-distribute. What does that look like? That is complicated. There are companies called aggregators that can essentially take and put your movie for rental on multiple platforms. So that is what will happen in a few months when we figure out exactly how that's going to go. But in the meantime, we didn't want to wait. So we premiered the movie. And as you said, it's available for rent only on Vimeo On Demand right now. But we are going to keep the movie on Vimeo On Demand. There are also, again, special features that will go away. So on Vimeo On Demand, you get to also see the talk back. And there are some other things you can watch in addition to the film if you rent it that way. We will keep it there until it is able to be on multiple platforms. And when it is on multiple platforms, it will be still available to rent. So it won't be in a subscription series with any platform. So like, for example, if it's available to rent on Hulu, it would not be available with your Hulu subscription. You would have to rent it separately. But that will happen, which we do understand that a lot of people are waiting because they have access to certain platforms or maybe they haven't downloaded everything. Maybe Vimeo doesn't work on their device or in their country. We have an international audience, which we knew, but is it's blowing our minds, the rentals in multiple countries, even though we have not translated it into all of the languages yet. It's really incredible. So some countries also, you can't, Vimeo doesn't work or things like that. So it will be available on more platforms at a date to be determined via the still still this rental model within 2023 we are determined and what you as far as downloads and with the available plat- on vimeo now is it exceeded your expectations so far or hopes and i guess there's a range of expectations but are, it sounds like you're pretty happy especially internationally even Yes, it has not exceeded yet. We've been very excited that we've had as many downloads as we have had already because again, we don't have money for to hire a PR firm. We don't have money for advertising really. So we understand that the group of people who's watching this are close right now. These are people who supported our crowdfunding, been following our Facebook page. These are people that we personally know as filmmakers. But every time someone like you, who we didn't know when we were making this movie, reaches out and wants to talk with us about this, now we're increasing to your audience. And thank you to everyone listening to this podcast. And every time we do that, I ask, okay, now think about who you know, who may need to see this. So we knew that our viewership would be, and I'm drawing a little line with my fingers, it's like flat, right? And then it's going to pick up steam. And then all of a sudden it's going to go straight up on that graph because once we get, I believe that once we get out of our initial circles and people start to share and people who we don't know start to share, I think it is going to exponentially explode because we know the audience is there, but because we can't blast it out over the airwaves by using money, it may take a minute. So we're willing to be really patient, but we have been excited at how many of our inner circles are already excited and sharing with their circles. So we'll see what happens. In yeah, the no, I'm excited. And I'll, like to echo what you said, if anybody's listening to share that, share it on their social media, share it with their friends. Yes. I think that this is a movie 
that you will to some point identify yourself or a loved one who's going through this and to at a minimum validate that dog is snoring. <laughs> at a minimum validate that you're not alone and that you're not the only one going through this. And there's all levels of hope. There are struggles, but there's real hope. And that is the title of my book, trying to conquering your fibromyalgia. It's a battle. Even if you hit pause and you went and had something, you will start to struggle in some level. So you're maintaining to keep you going, which is just your new normal and you feel good. And why would I want to do things that make me feel bad and not do things that make me feel good? And I think it would be good for the medical community to be watching this too. I think it does share a lot of just good experiences and seeing into the lives as a doctor looking at this, I'm like, this went too fast. Can't you have part one, two, three, and four? And this is a great chance to hear the other side of your story, knowing that this is important. There's so much hope. I really hope that this is able to get that momentum. There's over 10 million people in this country that have this. And I think there's, I posted a question was, how much shame do you have around your fibromyalgia and to what degree? And I think there's a lot of shame around that and to recognize that you shouldn't have to. This is a real problem and helping remove that. Thank you so much for taking your time in this January to talk and excited to, to get this going. It's a lot of years in the making and a lot of people going into this. As you, If you didn't hear Nick's interview, he talks a little bit about that as well. It's exciting to have that and share so much in common. This will be the first pure, I want to say exercise, but we talked about the role of activity and exercise. And it's interesting because I wanted to find the right person and I could grab a general physical therapist, but you are that person who has provided that insight into the role of activity, exercise, movement, all of those to help get through that and helping with that. So any other thoughts? It's my honor to offer that knowledge to your listeners. And I just want to say thank you for what you're doing for the community and for all the patients and beyond that you're serving with your practice and your podcast. So thank you. You're welcome. What did you learn from this episode? We learned about what we can do to help build resilience. We also learned about Rose's inspiration for doing the documentary. And we learned about the importance it is to have a grassroots effort to get this documentary promoted. You can do your part by watching and sharing this with others. Thanks for listening. It is truly an honor to have you take me with you wherever you have been listening. If you have found this helpful, please leave a five-star rating, review, hit the like or follow button, and share with others. That way more can join you and others on your journey of living well with fibromyalgia. Until next week, go Team Fibro.